Welcome back, everybody, to your Creativity Pandemic Edition. How are you today, Steve? Doing great. Loving the self-isolating stuff. Yeah, I'm so lonely. <laughs> <laughs> you have the web. There's, you, there's a lot you can do on the internet, Dylan. I know, but I, I think I'm running out of it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but today we've got a we've got a special guest. He is a bookseller, and he's seen on uh, Antique Roadshow and all over the place. Uh, we're here with Ken Sanders. How are you today, Ken? I, I wish I knew, Dylan. You know, we're taking it hour by hour, day by day. I didn't particularly like waking up this morning and reading first thing online that the the uh, orange menace in Washington is now insisting on signings everybody's stimulus check so he gets his even though he's too stupid to know that he's not legally allowed to sign them so he's holding everybody's checks up in order to get his name printed on them that's just not a good way to start the day we no. got a bat shit crazy and apology bats everywhere by running us to ruin now and causing us to die that's kind of heavy first thing in the morning it is yeah. It's... That, that, hey, Ken, that's why I just sleep in. And then, you know, I think uh, you know, so it's not as bad at like one in the afternoon as getting up early. Yeah, well, the 3 a.m. is when I have difficulty, especially when we keep getting the goddamn earthquake after <laughs> column. That was nuts last night. Fortunately, I, I, I was asleep. <laughs> Thank God. Thank God. Oh, I felt I have not felt them since the first day we had some. Lucky you. So it, does that does that mean that my house is safe? I would think so. Yes, since you're not yes, feeling Steve, it. Yeah, yeah, completely safe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. that's. If you can't right. feel the earthquake, yeah, yeah. certainly nothing wrong. No. Nope. <laughs> my house, uh, I got. I'm I'm about oh, I don't know, 500 feet away from a little uh, fault line park up here by the university. Guess, guess what fault? The Wasatch Fault. It's nobody's fault. No, yes, it is. It's the Wasatch Fault. And, but you, okay, so you're more than just like a book person. You're a movie star. Ah. I know this because you were in Trolls too. <laughs> I, I have been in two Trent Harris movies. Um, yeah? Undelightful Water Universe, which nobody's ever seen, uh, where I play a uh, barman bouncer. To, it was shot inside the twilight, and poor Bill Bill Allred from X96 is the down-and-out journalist that keeps handing me credit card after credit card that are all decline, decline, and then he tries to sneak out the back door of the dive bar, and my, my big scene is running down the alley at my bookstore in slow motion, trying to catch him as he goes into a card, the getaway car, and I guess uh, I guess uh, I kind of went a little over the top because I started shaking the car and trying to pick it up and push it over, and I terrified everybody in the car, the cameraman, Trent, and everyone else. <laughs> okay, that's good. Film sense. It's good to scare Bill every now and then. <laughs> yeah, you're right, Steve. You got to make your mark. You got to be memorable. So we... You, you're a bookseller, and um, be before all this, you were you were struggling because you, you potentially have to move because of uh, development downtown. Do you have any new uh, updates on that? Yeah, right, Don. So I got some good news and some bad news for you. Okay. Oh, yes, the, the entire block of 2nd East 
being developed from second south to third south, uh, there's already uh, luxury condos going up on second and second. The middle of the block is blighted and taken over by the homeless. They've tried to burn the buildings down twice. Um, and it's a whole big giant mess right up to my parking lot. And then the green ant on greens next to me. And the developers uh, held a press release and announcement and contest a few months ago that they're going to start to develop, get ideas from architectural students on developing our part of the block and what should be built there. And it's like, well, excuse me, that that means that you're finally after five years of not knowing, they're tearing us down. So we were not, we were, we were given notices that possibly as soon as January of 2021, we would be gone. So that's the bad news. And so I've got to plan, well, what do I do for the future? The yeah. problem is, was, still is, what I'm doing now isn't sustainable. I can't rent 4,000, 5,000 square feet of downtown property for a price I can afford to pay and continue the model of selling. We sell a lot of three to $20 used paperbacks and hard books, hardback books that the community, I can't run the empire off no matter how many of those sales I get. I need the four and five figure sales to keep the empire going. So trying to find square footage that I could afford downtown, it's not possible. We were looking at as many turnings as we could. I'm not really, especially now, I can't really talk about them. Some of them still could come true. But the silver lining is with the earthquake, well, not so much the earthquake, but the, the uh, coronavirus 19, COVID-19 pandemic, um, the development has been on halted and put on hold. And definitely we don't know how long. So likely instead of being evicted at the beginning of 2021, maybe I've got till the end of 2021. So maybe we do get to live, but we have to survive the pandemic first. And whenever that happens to happen. Yeah, are we in the beginning of it, the middle of it, nearing the end? How would anyone know? I'm a bookseller. What do I know? I'm, I'm, I'm imagining, you know, armies of invisible viruses, you know, creeping around my house, running around <laughs> the kitchen, the bathroom, the bedroom, God knows where. I mean, what does is, what is a coronavirus look like, man? Uh, so, so we, I, I, you know, I'm a fighter. I don't give up. We are, we are certainly are sitting around waiting with bated breath to see, do we get, do we get loans? Is anybody going to help us? And I do need to give a shout out to Mayor Mendenhall for jumping right into her brand new mayorship. Uh, her years, I think, on the city council has repaid really off with her expertise of knowing how the local government. She got right on it and formed an emergency loan fund. And I can tell you, and I'm very grateful to the mayor and the city council and everyone that's working on an emergency loan fund that we were granted and have that money. And that's what I'm using to keep all six of us, six of us on the payroll here at the bookstore. Thank you, Mayor Mendenhall. That's a start. I'm not sure I would be alive. Bookstore would be alive. I'll be alive. I weigh so much at this point. I don't think I could starve to death even if I had no food here. 
<laughs> well, Steve's got a whole shop full of chocolate, so you can probably go right there. Yeah, you can come eat here for a day or two. Hey, yeah, well, I, so Ken, yes, what, Steve. What, what what was your first book you read, or that you remember reading? Well, my late mother, um, she she, my mom says I was born reading a book. Now, possibly that's an exaggeration. Uh, there are <laughs> childhood pictures of me with the books in my hand. Uh, I haven't been able to make out the title of one of them yet, but some of my <laughs> favorites, uh, I do a, uh, um, I, it, it's a book called The Princess and the Goblin by George MacDonald and its sequel, The Princess and Curdy. Oh, just Killer, killer stuff. I ate it up. I, I loved, I loved, I, I read every book in Woodrow Wilson Elementary School, not literally, but every one that was of interest to me. That would mean I did not read any of the math, science, physics, or chemistry. But, but uh, all, I mean, Mrs. P Miss Pickle goes to Mars, Danny Dunn and the anti-gravity paint. Oh, and my all-time favorite, Alice in Wonderland. The Oz books by L. Frank Baum. Most people don't know there are 40 different Oz books by Baum, Ruth Thompson, and the famous illustrator of the series, John R. Neal. I just, I mean, I just forged myself on books and, 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 and still do. In fact, going off tangents, but then that's what I like to do. Uh, I started tomorrow night will be episode three of Storytime with Ken Sanders, and I've started a really, really corny uh, podcast, Zoomcast, whatever, like what we're doing right now, except it's just me. It's not interactive. And I, I got to tell you, it's a, a, a lifelong Luddite trying, sitting there for an hour reading books to an immense audience staring at my ugly mug on the screen as a little disconcerting. <laughs> Without my producer walking me through it, I could never, ever do it. But I'm having a ball. I'm reading. Tomorrow night, we're doing Shel Silverstein. Shel Silverstein. How did a Playboy cartoon buddy of Hugh Hefner's hung out at the Playboy Mansion in Chicago a lot? become a best-selling children's author, to mention the hundreds, if not thousands, of songs that he wrote that country, western, and rock bands uh, got famous off of, like Get Your Picture on the Cover of the Rolling Stone, Johnny Cash's uh, A Boy Named Sue, the Irish Rovers, the Humpty Bock Beasts, the Green Unicorn. You see what I mean about that singing voice now? And hundreds of he wrote entire albums for huge country stars. How did she Shelley Belly become this world famous children's book author and illustrator? It's, I just love stuff like that. So uh, 6 to 7 p.m. every Thursday, it'll be the third installment of my new kitty show. I have, I have special guests and I have running gags and props. Uh, I'm having a lot of fun with it. That's one but way. How do, do. how do people, where do people log in to find it? Oh, uh, you can go to our Facebook page, and my producer assures me that now that we're doing it at my house, that this, the internet's so screwed up at the store, we can't live stream YouTube, it's not working, that she assures me we'll be on, but we have a Ken Sanders Rare Books YouTube channel, and we have an email and a newsletter that we sent out today that has the 
the URLs where you, you go to get on these things. I, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but when it comes to kids' books, I do. I but caught the last keep, one, and it was lots of fun. Uh, it, I, I'm going to ham up more. I give shout-outs. My, my grandkids uh, just barely escaped London to come back to California, got on a plane. They, they upgraded all the miles to business miles. So the three of them, mom and the two kids, were the only three people on the plane in business class but the families reunited and they got to watch it and I love to call my grandchildren uh, rat-faced Kaporians which I did live on air and they back on it cracked them up because it's not the first time they've been called that <laughs> so, so I'm really having fun with that I'm, I'm gonna try and launch an adult one Dylan I want to I want to do I just you know, poems for the pandemic, though that's too cheap and alliterative to be the title. But I want to do serious, you know, adult stuff. The Wendell Berry, we should have been listening to Wendell Berry 50 years ago. You know, you know what this is all about, guys. It's really, really mother nature is pissed at us. And we should have been listening some decades back. Yeah. If we're not over the tip and she, she's gonna, you know, slap us around here to teach us a lesson and get her, get us to pay attention because she doesn't like the fact that they're, we're poisoning the earth, the water, the skies. We're we're dying off the the, the coral reefs. We're the Arctic and the Antarctic glaciers. She is pretty po'd, and we better get with it. Greta Thunberg is right. She's my new hero. <laughs> Yeah, mine too. She's amazing. Uh, Ken, give us a little history about the store. Is this the first location for it? Well, it's, uh, I've always been in the book trade. I was wheeling and dealing comic books in grade school, you know, for a nickel, not so much as a business, but if I could buy a comic book for a nickel and trade it to the next sucker and get two more comic books back, then I had twice as many comics. That, that's about as complicated math as I can do. Um, and I just, just expanded by there. At 14, I was a serious book collector. I was, I was buying Arthur Rackham's and Maxwell Parrish's and Jesse Wilcox Smith, illustrated, beautifully illustrated editions of Alice in Wonderland, a gigantic folio edition of Pose the Raven, full page engravings from uh, Guzman Duray. Oh, I just ate it all up. I, I ran my own mail order business in the 60s while I was still a teenager out of high school. Um, somebody from California came back home to Utah and blown my mind with underground comic books like Robert Crumb and such and Zap. So I was selling all these underground comic books in the 60s in fanzine advertisements and mail order. And I, I didn't know what typesetting was, so I'd buy those endless sheets of rub-off lettering. I have no talent as an ad designer. So they would be crooked and they'd run upside down and they would get my fingerprints all over them. And I would sell underground comic books by mail order and I'd have these things. You must be 18 to buy these comics. But of course, I wasn't 18, but hell, I was selling them, not buying them. <laughs> so I've always been involved in books. I Technically, my very, very first job in the book world, and 
uh, a guy I knew back in the 60s, Don Bowles, started a little paperback trade store in Sugar House called Central Book Exchange. And though Don's long gone, the bookstore had, has had a new owner for a long, long time and seemingly is thriving and is still in the same location as it was back in the 60s. When I worked there, I was supposed to make a dollar an hour. But trading paperbacks and only taking 10 cents in per trade, per book, often didn't fill the coffers with that kind of money. Yeah. So I gleefully took my salary out in trade. <laughs> then I worked to, I worked to, at Sam Weller's uh, on Main Street. I worked uh, one summer at Collector's Bookstore on Hollywood Boulevard, just below Vermont Avenue. Uh, I tell you, a teenage boy from Salt Lake, loose on, Hollywood and Sunset Avenues. Holy mother of God, was that an experience? <laughs> I bet. <laughs> in 19, summer of 1970. And then uh, my old uh, buddy, Steve Jones, who had started the Cosmic Airplane at 9th and 9th in the summer, spring of 67. He, in the 70s, he approached me in 74 to manage. He, he had always wanted a bookstore. Uh, he, he had a, a would-be partner. Uh, Bruce Roberts, they're both deceased now. Steve and Bruce are gone. I'm the only one left. Um, they approached me about managing this new bookstore. Uh, I talked my way into a three-way partnership, and we found this location and remodeled it in 75, and I set up uh, the bookstore in my old house aside and ordered books from publishers. I, our very, very first employee worked in a spare bedroom in that house for a year before we ever opened. Her name was, uh, she's an artist here in Salt Lake now named Lucy Fairchild. She was the Cosmic's very bookstore. There were other incarnations of Cosmic for them. So 1976, next door, Blue Mouse Theater, and up the street from uh, the Cinegrill restaurant on First South, kind of where Nostalgia Coffee would be now, uh, we opened a bookstore, Cosmic Airplane Books and Records, and uh, it took off, and it was a wild, wild ride. And then from then, I founded Dream Garden Press in 1980, my publishing company, uh, for a long, then I went through a bunch of financial uh, distress for about a decade. I was holed up out in South Salt Lake in buildings that my, my parents owned. And then in 97, the space I'm in now uh, became open. The last thing I ever intended to do was to open again. But my daughter, who was then 16 years old, and I uh, started it and... Now look at me now. Can we call Wait, it a pandemic so instead of demic? Did she ditch you by seventeen years old, or how long did she stay involved? Oh, for about ten years. It, on a good day, it's very, very difficult to work for me, but try to be my <laughs> daughter. I I have a lot of sympathy for 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 her not wanting to do that. She actually for a while. Uh, started her own she she loves homemade books and artist books and things like that and she started her own red queen book arts for a while but it's not currently active you you've seen the cycle of book reading and i mean you saw the digital age where like the ebooks came on yes and, of the book blah think, blah blah do you, but I also, I mean, they're saying now that real books actually are coming back in a big way because people miss actually touch, touching the texture, the, the, all of that. How, what are your thoughts on all of this? Don't forget, they like to smell. That's very important. 
when people used to be allowed to come in my store, that's what they would talk about. Oh my gosh, I love the way this place smells. And it was right after the janitors came, so it wasn't because it was filthy, that it's the smell of books decaying and people are addicted to that smell. Look, this whole, as you point out, the whole internet, digital, ebook thing, so what? I don't care. True bibliophiles live in a far distant corner of the universe. Books are never going to go away. We're never going to go away. And it's not just people my age. I've got three youngsters working for me right now, and they're, they're book people. They're, they're, they're one of us. We're not going to go away. Remember Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451 when they burn all the books? The true bibliophiles and the book renegades lived out in the woods outside the long arm of the orange law, and they became the books themselves and would walk around reading Shakespeare and their own favorite books. They became the books. We'll become the books. aren't going anywhere. They'll be around us as long as there's a civilization left. And that's an open question. To, to produce them and make always be readers, I'm not worried. Um, Business-wise or um, author-wise or musician-wise, who, who's inspired you through your life? Oh boy, it's, that's a big question, Dylan. Um, I've always loved music as much as I've loved books. Um, I'm a vinyl junkie. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I just scored 19. Uh, here, I have one right here. 19 Anthony Braxton uh, albums right here. He's the brilliant... Uh, Chicago, what you'd call free player now, art ensemble of Chicago, Chicago, Lester Bowie, Malachi Flavors, and, and um, um, Roshan Roland Kirk, and all, Richard Abrams, all, all those guys that just I was wild about you know, back in the 60s, Delmark and Nessa Records. They call it free jazz now, but that didn't exist then. Bookwise, as I said, as a child, Alice in Wonderland has always been a been a favorite but but and over the years just, you know you can't it's like picking favorite children there's different things about the books that you like flatland uh, by edwin abbott is a mathematic arts and a fantasy a romance in one dimension which i always recommend eric hoffer a new york state longshoresman turned philosopher wrote probably two dozen or more books but the true believer is one of the best books you could ever read to get into the psyche of why people believe what they do which is i would say really puzzling now um victor frankel's uh great uh, psychiatric work um oh lord see i'm having a senior moment was absolutely must reading and of course i'm really really passionate about man's search for meaning uh, i'm really really passionate about fiction and novels uh, i love moby of don quixote i love huckleberry finn uh, these are some of the great novels. i'm a huge poetry fan walt whitman Allen ginsburg emily dickinson edgar Allan poe the raven is so inspiring and I think, given the time we live in it right now, it's time to go back and read all of my Franz Kafka 
the books from when I was in high school. Um, I mean, I, I could go on for hours just listing my favorite. So one of, I think, the greatest novelists of the second half of the 20th century is Cormac McCarthy. Uh, his brilliant Blood Meridian, The Border Trilogy, uh, The Road, No Country for Old Men, etc., etc., etc. My old friend Edward Abbey, we need him now more than ever. Desert Solitaire, the Monkey Ranch Gang. My old friend Charles Bowden, gone five years now. His 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 book called Blood Orchid: An Unnatural History of America is really really important. Wendell Berry. Wendell Berry has been. He's a Kentucky farmer, poet, essayist, essay novelist, and one of the I think. America's most living writers. Uh, I have been reading, going back, he's written more than 60 books. Here's an anthology of his poems called This Day, Collected a New Sabbath. Um, and if you'll permit me, Dylan, I'd like to read one that I think is really, really pertinent to our times. Totally, go ahead. He doesn't, uh, <clears throat> he doesn't name his, uh, Poems that just have numbers. There is Wendell on the back cover of his, yeah. Awesome. He's, uh, I've had the privilege of knowing Wendell Berry for almost 40 years and I really admire and respect his work, and we should have been listening to him for all these 50 years. Let us not condemn the human beings appointed to serve the machines. Poor humans, so weak of mind, so self-misled, so willing to risk heroic wrong. What's the satisfaction in condemning the self-condemned? Let them be answered by themselves, who grow smaller, their great works uglier, more lethal, they by day, as we wish ourselves to be spared the fatal numbering. Let us not confound offenders with offenses. May they come to mercy and to peace, but damn their bank accounts inflated by the spent breath of all the earth, of species forever changed to money. Let their legal falsehoods, corpses incorporated that cannot see or feel, think or care, that eat the world and shit money, fry in hell in their own fat. May their incarnates steal and fire that destroy the mountains forever be damned. May the chemicals be damned poison the rivers and damned too the alien slop and fume that spoil the air the water and all the living world sold soiled or burned may the plastic trash that defiles lands and oceans the machines that destroy the work of human hands the mind destroying Mechanical dreams be damned, completely damned. Be damned also to the incorporations of industrial war that is the triumph of 
every machine that will destroy any life and every life, any place and every place for victory that always is he. May the heartless speech of machines that break the heart of the smallest wholeness and may the radiant waste that has made geniuses, idiots, ever be damned. It's poor religion that can't provide a sufficient curse when needed. But if you condemn the dire shortcuts and devices of the engineers, confess that you condemn yourself. You too belong to that litter and so must enter your guilty plea and so must come to your work. You must go ahead in opposition to the mechanical life, continuing also the creaturely task longer than your life of correcting yourself. Wendell Berry. That was really cool. That was, that was good. He's talking to us. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Hey, hey Ken. The, okay, so Yo, it kind of, it talked a little in there, but how do you define success? Or what is success to you? Uh, for, for either yourself or for all of us? Uh, well, Matt's short, snappy answer, having more books than I can possibly read and more records that I can possibly listen to. Remember that Mad Magazine used to have this uh, Mad uh, snappy answers to idiot questions or some such thing. But, but thinking about, I mean, we've all really been thinking about things a lot with what we've been going through for the past month or six weeks, whatever it's been. You know, what is truly important? What is valuable? And it isn't things. I mean, as much joy and pleasure that I've got down my things. I mean, I'm a collector. I, I, if stuff amuses me, if it gives me pleasure, I like it. And I don't think there's anything inherently wrong or evil with that. But as the famous uh, torch singer sang, sang, is that all there is? And the answer is no. Life is, in, in, it's, it's about family. It's about the people that you love around you whether you're related to them or not and it's about the air outside right now it's so clear i can look across the viola i say clouds out there so i can't see the ochre mountains but i don't remember the air in this valley smelling and tasting so clean since i was a child 60 years ago i don't think you can put a value on that and that we, as Wendell alluded to, if we sell off our birthright of clean air and the and clean and clean water and clean earth that takes sustenance from, you can't put a price on those kind of things, and you can't put a price on community and people doing things together because especially with the self-isolation all of a sudden simple things like a hike or a walk or a bike ride or, or you know a river trip uh, all of a sudden oh oh i really want to do that oh i really miss doing that and these things are 
they're priceless. And do we really want to go back to that money grubbing, dirty world that we left a few weeks ago? We've got to take this opportunity to, to change things. I don't know if we can do it. And, um, what do you think our so. future is? Well, we'll always have competition. <laughs> they're, they're proven survivors. And there's the new species we call the human cockroach that comes in both red and blue. <laughs> I, I, though I really shouldn't compare the evil in this world to the creatures in it, because that is not fair to the insects, the mammals, the birds, to, 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 to call these odious people by their names. That's, that's shameful of me. I need to get more original with my, my blasphemies. In our closing minutes, I want to talk about Antique Roadshow uh, for a few minutes. So you, you started being on there on season 11? I believe so. It was, it was they'd, they'd been at Salt Lake once before, and they came, they came back. And the first time they'd been here, they really had nobody. They didn't know what they were getting into, and they had nobody on, on well, staff, volunteer. The appraisers are all volunteers. It's a myth that we, we get paid. We, we, they buy us breakfast and lunch, and we pay all our own expenses, uh, hotels, airfares, meals, whatever. Uh, we're volunteers. We do, we do it for the fun of it and the notoriety, I guess. Um, it's challenging to do. Yeah, so they, they called me up. Uh, one of the producers called me up a few weeks before the show was coming back to the uh, um, Salt Palace. And he, uh, he said, uh, I've been trying to find somebody with some experience, you know, in Mormon books and Mormon collectibles. And every person I talk to says it's you. So they brought me on the set. I had to do a little practice, you know, appraisal thing. And, and uh, they sat me down at the book table. Well, one of the books, there's an auction house guy there I didn't know, and a bookseller I did know, Ken Gloss from the Brattle Bookshop, who was an old-timer on the show, and he really took me under his wings. And they don't really teach you how to do anything. They just throw you out there, and you sink or swim. And I'll never have it as good as that first, first day in Salt Lake because, uh, you know, people came with all this fabulous Mormon stuff. Um, I've never... They'll never ever let film that many times ever ever again. <laughs> and clearly, I must have provided something to the show that they valued because uh, um, they've been back to Salt Lake a third time now, and they're in their twenty-fourth year, I believe it is. And although the whole show got canceled this spring, April, May, June, uh, it is going to. A, 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 appear in the fall sometime uh, is what I've been told uh, and people like the show it's certainly given me a made me a big fish in a little pond back home here in Salt Lake City and it, it's fun um, it's it can be challenging too and sharpening up because you get exposed to a lot of material that you've never seen before in your life and you don't have a idea what it is so do, do, do you have an idea of what they're bringing in so you can research absolutely it a not new it's all it, the furniture folks they they do pre-arrange and bring that into the set and those folks are lucky because they can you know kick it around the day before and 
do all the research that they want to. Uh, there might, it, it's really, really hard. There's three of us at the book table when s some shows we are just slammed. So technically you can take a lunch. You could, you know, get on your laptop or look something up. And occasionally I'll try and do that on the fly. So when we do film, because you know we're doing like this three minute segment that I get my facts right. I, I might have to look up a birth or a death date of an author or when an author was in Paris or not or what data book was a few things like that that perhaps I've forgotten or I, I never knew in the first place and then you just go out there and film it I mean yeah it's taped and they they edit it later and I'm telling you whoever those editors are make us look like geniuses it's amazing what a good editor can do and you just go out there and have fun with it and try and make the guests, some guests are more nervous than others, and you get all time. Some of them, you know, the, the biggest takeaway I have from the show is I had to learn, and we all do this, is we talk over each other. And as you gentlemen know, we can't edit film of that if we're talking over each other. So yeah. I had to learn how to listen to them and then start to say my piece, but then talk over me. So you just like become your own editor and you just, oh, okay, pause, go backwards, wait for them to finish and start again. Sometimes the minute you talk, they talk. One time I had a really sweet elderly woman who was uh, much deafer than I am and she could not heard anybody was saying to her. So all she did was talk and talk and talk. How they edited that and made it into something I yeah, editors it are can amazing. be very challenging and a heck of a lot of fun. And the best part is the crew that you work with, the staff, the producers, all the folks uh, behind the scenes, and your fellow colleagues and appraisers. I have learned so much. Well, that, that's awesome. Yeah, and I, I know we're going to get cut off, but we should have you back sometime again. Oh, it's a pleasure. I'm happy. To, now that we've figured this out, and I actually, I, a month ago, I couldn't have done this. But this this was easy. I know how to. I actually know how to do it now. Well, well, let's not go that far. I think I could make it. <laughs> yeah, Steve, Dylan, I would be more than happy to. Uh, it's been a weird trip trying to. You know, we we started in on this, Dylan, uh, pre pre uh, pandemic, right? Yeah, yeah, we did, and we had a couple of dates set up, and they they just things came up, and but we're here now. Um, is is there where? How can people help you? currently well uh, we can we, we are really pressing uh mail order internet order phone order if you call in the shop we have a, a small crew of folks that will do their best to find a special book for you or your child uh one of my employees amber has start has gung-ho has taken on this she's doing this social media phenomenon of delivering books all over the valley it was her idea and she is just running running or driving with it as the case may be uh buy gift certificates it's a great way to support us we are offering to pay you back 125 percent so if you buy a hundred dollar gift certificate when you redeem it we'll give you 125 dollars in books or whatever you want um yeah do if you can do support us we're we're looking at this long term to figure out how to, how do we reemerge from this as a viable bookstore can continue for you know another 10 years? Uh, I'm in awe of what 
the famous City Lights, Lawrence from Getty Lights Bookshop. He's he's with us. He's in, in 103 or something. Um, the woman that is managing and running the store, uh, a week or so ago, they started a GoFundMe site. And thanks to the likes of very famous authors, um, they raised something like $400,000 in a week. Well, I, I'm not that famous, and I don't quite need that much money. We may consider doing something like that. But I'm also, Dylan, to me, Steve, it's important to give it back. We're trying to, my, my, my uh, children's book show we're doing weekly, uh, we're designating people like the Utah Food Bank, Utahns Against Hunger, uh, people like that to raise cash and encourage our listeners to give them money for people that have lost their jobs and don't have anything, have rents to pay and kids to feed. We're trying to do our best in our own small way to do. We've turned the entire front of the bookstore. It was our famous dollar book wall. And for as long as the pandemic ends, we're, it has hundreds and hundreds. We keep it stuffed full of books of every subject available, and they're all free. You can come down. We've had to put up social distancing rules and marks on the sidewalk uh, so people keep their difference. But you need your board work, come down, get it, get a free book. We're, as, as we try to figure out how to help ourselves and save ourselves, um, we're also trying to reach out to the community. I have been a bookseller in for dang near 50 years and trying to help at the same time as we need help. As everyone keeps saying, we're all in this together. <laughs> so we have a couple, a few bonus questions for you. Um, okay. Who is your favorite Muppet and why? Hmm. Well, my favorite Muffet uh, is Oscar the Grouch. <laughs> well, because he has a prickly personality like uh, I sometimes can have. You, don't, you won't see that side of me on the, the Kitty show, but as Wendell Berry, when he was out here in 1989 for the Ed Abbey Wake, we held North of Arches uh, and Wendell does not like adulation from his fans. He does not care for it. He has no use for it. So he was always saying, well, if you want a different opinion of me, just ask my wife. <laughs> Love it. And then uh, in the movie of your life, who would you want to play you? Well, to, for me, far more important than who plays me is who plays my girlfriend. That's <laughs> much more interesting to me. <laughs> So who would you want to play your girlfriend? <laughs> uh, I, I'm so old now that I don't even know the names of the, the great <laughs> hot actresses of our time. You know, uh, uh, Ingrid Bergman, is she still around? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Steve, do you have any more questions for him? No, I don't, I don't know if it's still recording. So I'm, I'm kind of... Um, as far as I know, how, how, how do we know? Well, it's, it's, it's just magic, Ken. If not, we're going to have to repeat this whole hour worth of talking. It didn't work at all, right? Well, I know we're doing uh, our virtual cocktail hour every Saturday night with this drinking club of ours. We even got our favorite bartender to be on it with us last week. Oh, okay. It's only supposed to be an hour, and it's a Zoom thing. But we just kept talking, and I mean, we could still talk to each other, whether somebody's recording it or not. I don't know. Yeah, it's still still showing. I am not the one to ask about technology questions. <laughs> and I, I want to like team up with you down the road too. So let's 
figure Let's out how it. we can do it. And I want to get together. I do. I actually need some chocolate. I'll try to drop some down when when things get with, a little going normal. Okay, with with the bill, I I want to. I didn't get to send my children a uh, an Easter basket, and they're they're kind of used to getting books from me, shall we say? My <laughs> my daughter-in-law once said, "Well, Ken." You know, there are other children have other relatives that also send books, but they send them to to them one or two at a time. I said, "Yeah, I know. So what?" I, Boring, so folks. When they first told me they were having uh, Flynn, I took my daughter-in-law aside and I said, "Look, I'm going to do everything in my power not to be that horrible father-in-law that gives you guys the worst kind of gifts that you hate and you pretend to like and you." give them to the goodwill as soon as I'm gone. But there is one thing you can't anything about, right? Books. So they get entire boxes full of books, you know? How could one have too many books? Inconceivable. Inconceivable. <laughs> other, other great, great children's books. I mean, The Prince's Bride by William Golding, of course, and Michael Andrews. Uh, the never-ending story, that's a metaphor for our times. The great nothing, nothing is coming in and destroying the earth and eating from its edges. Oh, man, the great orange nothing will rename it. I don't know if I can ever read that book because I saw the movie oh, when I was growing up, but I was on a lot of pain medicine. And Ooh. let's just say it was a very scary movie on oh. drugs. Well, it's, it's, it's emotional. But it's always like where the red fern grows or, or you know, uh, um, Charlotte's Web. They're tearjerkers, but some kind, sometimes kids need a dose of reality in their lives. Maybe not. Sometimes crying is okay. Aftershocks every day. <laughs> I, I would run and hide under my bed if I could only fit under it. I still haven't even felt it enough to hide under my bed. Usually I'm wide on top of my bed and uh, yeah, I guess I'm dead. Well, thank you guys Ken, so much. thank you. Thanks, gentlemen. I appreciate it. I'm glad we got together. Yeah, me too. Thank you. Be safe out there, okay? Will do. Adios, amigos. Adios. Ciao. The podcast is done, man. <laughs> <laughs>